You want to start? I see you've got a Leonardo shirt on. Yes. Okay, uh, cool. all, all apologies to... No, no, no. That's okay. I figure if I live 50 more years, I can knock off all four turtles. <laughs> okay. So are, are we recording? Are we good to yes. go? Okay. Fantastic. Well, uh, first of all, I want to uh, welcome you to uh, Geek Media Expo. Thank on you. On behalf of everybody. And thank you very much for taking the, the time to do this. As, as you've alluded to, uh, we know you're very high in demand oh, for well, obvious reasons. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Um, very, very much. Uh, thanks for on behalf of everyone. So it's a great honor to have you here. So thank, thank you, you sir. Um, I think I would like to start off by asking, um, when did you know uh, that you wanted to be a performer? Very young. Uh, I grew up in Michigan, and what I really wanted to be was a hockey player. Fortunately for me... Some kid from Winnipeg beat the living daylights out of me when I was probably 17 years old. Totally legally, but it was clear to me that I had no business trying to make any money as a hockey player. My second desperate passion when I was young was performing, um, primarily a singer. My, my mom and dad were both performers of community theater and things like that in Detroit. Um, and I grew up in, in and around Detroit, and then I went to high school just south of Flint, Michigan. Um, so me and my siblings all were performers. Oh, thanks, bud. Uh, I um, thank you very much. Um, I uh, knew from a very early age that I wanted to be a performer, not necessarily a voice performer, mm -hmm. because I loved cartoons and I knew who the people were. A pretty, I was, I'm a total geek, so I, I pretty much knew early on that uh, who Mel Blanc and Gene Foray and Dawes Butler and Don Messick and you know Pinto Colvig, who was the original voice of Goofy, and um, Clarence Nash, who was the original voice of, of uh, Donald. I mean, I knew all these guys. You know, Jack Mercer, who was Popeye. I was a total geek about all that stuff. But I also knew when I moved to California uh, in 1978 that there were just a few people who did all the animation. I went there ostensibly as an on-camera talent because by the time I got to LA at 22. I'd had a relative large amount of experience because I've been making money since I was 19. Not a lot, but it was just like whether it was fronting a rock and roll band or doing theater around North, in, in North America. So by the time I got to L.A., I'd had a lot of experience for being 22. Um, and um, my agency signed me as an on-camera talent, and I did, I don't know, half a dozen movies and a bunch of TV shows, lots of commercials on camera. Um, and uh, always working on voice stuff because, as, again, I was a singer first. And all my heroes were guys like uh, Jonathan Winters and Peter Sellers and Peter Ustinoff, the, you know, the goons, a lot of British comedy, Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, um, the Pythons, all those guys were my heroes. And, um, and, you know, in terms of American television, Carol Burnett and all of her friends and Red Skelton, uh, Pat Paulson, all big fans. I was a big fan of all, all of them. So they were very inspirational. Um, and then I had the opportunity to start reading for cartoons in the mid-'80s, and I did. And one thing led to another, and I kind of let the on-camera stuff go, realizing I had a face for voiceover. So, <laughs> and I was not limited by being an average-looking white guy. You know, that's pretty cool that you can, especially now, I'm doing Turtles again, man. And I'm old enough to be your father, probably. And I get a chance to be a Ninja Turtle again. So I'm not limited by this and, you know, by this visage. And fortunately, silver goes great with purple. So now I can do Donatello. But, yeah, that's, um, uh, I knew from an early age, I gave you much more than you asked for. But I gave, uh, at an early age, rather, I was uh, pretty aware. And I understand now how, what a gift that was um, and a kind of a blessing to be able to know what you want to do when you're really young and be really passionate about it. Because not everybody knows what they want to do until they get into their 30s or 40s. Um, so 
irrespective of what it is you do, when you're lucky enough to know what it is you want to pursue, then you can start jumping on it early. And I was very fortunate in that regard. Yes, ma'am. You mentioned uh, you mentioned that you you've done two of the PhD Ninja Turtles now. Uh, what is my question is uh, what is that what is that like? I, I don't get the opportunity to talk to many voice actors who get to work on basically a remake of a piece that they previously worked on yeah, only won't. as a different character. Right. It's a very uh, unusual so circumstance. So what's that like, you know, having been the voice of Raphael and now you're the voice of Donatello? It, it, it's um, a really kind of an incredible gift uh, to be able to get another bite of that turtle apple. is, And that's why I say you won't see this very much. I'm, I'm kind of a an anomaly. It's like finding... The last living dodo bird, you know, yeah. I'm just, it's a very unusual circumstance. Not because I'm super gifted. I was very fortunate to get another crack at this and they were nice enough to hire me after four or five auditions for Donatello. But uh, I, it is not lost on me how really fortunate I am to do this. And it's kind of surreal. It's not now I'm kind of used to it because we're recording the second mm -hmm. season of the new Turtles, which is doing great. Yeah. And I'm really, oh, sorry. I'm really proud of it. Um, but uh, uh, it, uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, for the first probably 10 or 15 episodes, Andrea Romano, who is directing the show, also directed Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and Hysteria. I've known Andrea for 32 years. And also Peter Hastings is one of the story editors who was one of the main folks, uh, writers and, and uh, creators on Pinky and the Brain. Tom Ruger was the guy that, and, and Animaniacs, Tom Ruger, and Gene McCurdy and Steven Spielberg ran the whole show. Uh, but Peter was one of the uh, the main writers on the show, and now he's back with uh, being a story editor on Ninja Turtles. So I'm working with two of my close friends whom I've known for 20 to 30 years. And uh, the first few episodes when Andrea would say, you know, she often speaks to us in character uh, or yeah. as our character. So she'll say, uh, oh, hey, Raphael, would you? And as soon as she'd say that, I kept, it's like a, you know, uh, a Pavlovian response. I was like, <laughs> I'm Raphael, and I have to respond, and I realize that Sean, Sean Astin is now Raphael, uh, who is excellent and a delightful guy. So it took me a while to get used to that, um, but sliding back into the whole ethos and the mythology and working with people who are very inspired. And it's an unusual circumstance, not only that I'm back, mm -hmm. but that the people who are making the show are huge fans of the original show. They're your age, right? So it's really cool is that you have a, a circumstance in which the people who are making this iconic new reboot are people who grew up loving the one I was on in, in, at the beginning. So they get it. They get how important the characters are to people. They get the mythology. They get the ethos. They get the fact that, uh, that these characters have been very impactful and many millions of people around the world. So I think that's why the show has come out of the shoot with pretty much all positive reviews. I get a lot of tweets and emails from people who have said, um, I'm, I was prepared to hate this show, and I love it. And I get that, because it's a, nostalgia is a powerful, um, it's a powerful emotion. But man, by and large, people really love the new show, and I'm very proud of it. I think people get real scared of reboots because they see it not done properly so many times that, that it's yeah. really, really nice when it comes out mm -hmm. and it's done properly and with the respect that... Yes, and I get that. And, and as I said, I'm, I'm one of the people who benefits from coming to meet folks like you in person. So I am now um, in a place in my career where my work and my age have kind of reached this nexus so that I'm still young enough 
and healthy enough to come and do these things and meet people who were children when I first started working and have grown up enjoying the work that I do and, and all of the rest of us who are lucky enough to do this. But now they literally have folks who are their, their kids who, you know, I get people all the time who are, say, 30 years old, 35 years old. So, Dude, I was a Ninja Turtle freak when I was a kid. And then I watched, you know, Pinky and the Brain and the Tick and Animaniacs all through high school. And then my kids are watching Jimmy Neutron and Fairly Odd Parents and the Tinkerbell movies. And now you're doing Ninja Turtles again. And my kids and I watch the new Turtle show and I totally dig it. And then I show them the DVDs from the show that I liked when I was a kid. And so I've reached a, a really interesting point in my life. And I love doing this kind of stuff because it reminds me how impactful all this work has been. And um, so the simple answer to your question is freaking amazing. Yeah. Anybody have a question? Yes, sir. I didn't want to change the subject, but no, go ahead. Um, I'm a child of the 80s, uh -huh. and so I grew up with Transformers and G.I. Joe, Joe and uh, Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Do you have any um, stories about uh, working with Chris Latta, Frank Welker, Scatman oh, Crothers? All of them. Well, Scatman, I, I didn't know that well. Um, uh, Frank, I had a week ago today, I was on the golf course with Frank. Frank is one of my dearest friends. He found our house for us. We live five minutes from him. Um, and right across the street from Frank lives Nolan North, who is, you know, Drake on uh, Uncharted and, and Jesus Christ, Portal and God knows what else he works on. He's a Mr. Video Game. So Nolan and Frank and I were playing golf just this last weekend. Um, and uh, my stories about Frank, I mean, are, are le I've volumes of them because I've known him for 25 years. Um, Peter Cullen, another one, just wonderful guy. I had dinner two weeks ago with Chris Lotta's daughter. Uh, her name is Abby, and she's just adorable. Um, I worked with Chris. He was, as you know, he was Starscream and Cobra Commander. Um, and man, talk about a talk about a force of nature. He was a bigger than life human. And you can you can Google his stand up. You can find I'm not Google YouTube him, uh, and you can find his stand up. He's a stand up comic, and very intense guy. Um, died way too soon. But what a pleasure it is to, to meet his daughter now, who has a beautiful little child, and, and Chris would be very proud of her. And she's um, a budding voice actress. Um, her, married to her husband, James, who is uh, uh, one of the executives at Ustream Video, um, the, the big you know on, um, online Ustream thing. And I'm going to be probably doing some work with Ustream, so we'll have a lot of pay-per-view events that we can do for people who might want to learn about voice acting or things like that, because I do a lot of uh, workshops, and I find that there are people essentially all around the world who want to know about voice acting, and the cool thing in my case is that I can give them information in real time. That's I came from a job before I got here, and tomorrow I'm working on Ninja Turtles, so I get back to L.A. So people can get good information. We're thinking about doing some some uh, pay-per-view things and for Ustream. So James and Abby, uh, uh, yeah, it's really cool that there's this connection to you know the, the old shows on which I started. My first two cartoons were Transformers and G.I. Joe. Okay. And I wasn't a regular, well, semi, I was Snow Job, I think, and Tripwire and a couple of other things. Um, but uh, that's where I got my start. And um, Don Jerwich, the producer of those shows from Sunbow, was the guy that gave me my first crack. And I'll always be very, very indebted to Don. But uh, I wish I could go through, you know, chapter and verse, but, um, you know, Arthur Burkhart, uh, Charlie Adler, um, a lot of these guys have been on my podcast. Uh, I have a podcast that I do every week that's free called Talkin' Tunes, T-A-L-K-I-N-T-O-O-N-S. I also have an app now 
that's free. Uh, I've only had it for not even a week. So if you go to the iTunes, uh, rather the App Store, you can download the Rob Paulson app, which has all my um, podcasts and ways to find out where I'm going to be appearing and other cons and personal appearances and um, the w photographs for charity and my background and how to contact me and all that stuff. That's free. And the Android version is in the works. So um, uh, there are a lot of stories on a lot of podcasts about the people you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, luckily, Frank and Peter Cullen uh, are still healthy as hell and look great. And, and the nicest, most down-to-earth, unpretentious, supremely gifted people you will ever meet in your life. They would sit and chew the fat with you for hours and then go into Megatron or Scooby-Doo or, you know, uh, Optimus Prime and you just go, dude, I just beat myself. <laughs> Pretty astonishing. They're lovely people. You would, you would adore them. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Um, now that the Turtles are obviously a very well-established franchise, um, and working on the new series, mm -hmm. in comparison to the old one, as an actor, do you find that you have more creative freedom with the character or less because they're more established? Oh, that's a great that's a great question. Um, I um, actually it was very similar to your question, I think, yesterday about the scripts. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, I don't have um, I don't think I have any less creative freedom. Uh, there were a certain few. There were a, a few minor tweaks. I think that Cironielli. Uh, who is, is, again, the embodiment of what I was early speaking of, is that uh, Ciro is one of those guys who is a turtle geek. His father, an Italian guy from Sicily who owns a pizza store. Are you <laughs> kidding me? How perfect is that? And Ciro was on my podcast, and he tells that story of when he was a kid sitting in the pizza parlor drawing Ninja Turtles. You know, his father is a pizza guy. It's great. So who better to take over the reins, right? Um but I think there were certain tweaks that they wanted. Uh, Donatello clearly is still the, the brains of the bunch and not the best fighter, and that's evidence the first couple of episodes. He gets his ass kicked or his shell kicked by, you know, Michelangelo. And so Leo and, and Raph are the two premier fighters, with Raph being the, the badass. Um, but Donatello is the brains of the bunch, although in my version of Donatello, as a result of what Ciro and, his, and the guys wanted, he's got a bit more of an edge so that... Whereas uh, Barry Gordon, who will always be the original Donatello and the definitive Donatello, um, was uh, uh, this, this you know sweet, lovable nerd. My sweet, lovable nerd has a bit of a hair trigger, so that when people start, come on, Donnie, let's go, let's go. I'm, I'm doing the best I can, you know, like <laughs> like Dustin Hoffman saying, I'm walking here, I'm walking here, you know, and that's kind of like, shut up, you know, I'm gonna blow this place up if you don't get me finish my job, that kind of stuff. Okay, and then. And then become a nerd, you know. So there's that element that's a little different. Um, I think because the, the, the audience and the creators know uh, the whole story of the Turtles now, and because it is so iconic, as you mentioned, that the scripts are a little deeper, a little more fleshed out. Um, and again, not because the scripts in the original show weren't, but there was a... a I, I believe there was a, a, a lot more of the of, um, of a kid-friendly show that was developed in the 80s and, and 90s. I think that that show was more geared toward, you know, 6 to 11-year-olds. And the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I, don't know, I can't tell you how many birthday parties I call, you know, and I, I love doing it. Um, but I think that in this iteration, 
uh, a lot of people like the darkness of the comic books. You know, they like the intense intensity of the city. They like the, the sort of grittiness of what the turtles have to go through. And the, and the action sequences in our version are, I think, a lot more intense because the technology is also there to make them such. And there's some cool things with slow motion, you know, like, like, uh, like a Jet Li movie, you know, or like Crouching Tiger where they're doing stuff, you know, Shredder and all the four turtles are beating the daylights out of each other and it shows them like with the moon in the background at night and they're all slow motion with all their weapons. It's very comic book-like and it's cool. Um, so you get a lot of folks who are older, you know, who dug the, the, the comic books and the whole mythology of the turtles, but now they can watch it and there's a, there's an edge to it. Um, and again, that's not to diss the original show because I'll, I'll always be proud of that. It's not better, it's different. And I think that it's, for a number of, of reasons, not the least of which is that there's been a lot of time and we have technology that allows cooler things to happen. Um, so forgive my rambling, but I'm so grateful to have this opportunity that sometimes I just want to get as much information out <laughs> as I can because I don't know I'll be lucky enough to, to be with you guys again. But I hope that answered your question. Yes, sir. A bit of a sidestep question on that. You've got a lot of characters who you have a great deal of fluidity with, like, um, like Yakko and, and Pinky as two huge examples, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering, you know, here you go in and out of the voice all the time, how much uh, flexibility did you have and chances for improvisation when you were recording those shows? Or were they, you know, scripted to the point that you just, you know, it was all about in what you could infer with your dialogue? I mean, how, on average, how much do you get a chance to improvise as a voice well, actor? Well, the, the truth is, particularly with respect to Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs and Hysteria and The Tick, I have to say, the scripts were so really good that you didn't have to. I mean, Ben Edlund is, was a genius at 20. Yeah. You know, um, and all these folks who wrote for Animaniacs, Peter Hastings, Sherry Stoner, uh, Tom Ruger, Gordon Bressack, Charlie Howell, um, uh, you know, uh, Paul Rugg, um, John McCann. It just goes on and on and on. Uh, um, these folks just did such incredible work that the scripts were absolutely brilliant the way they came out of the shoot. But it, what's interesting is that when scripts are written at such a high level by such world-class Emmy-winning writers, it inspires me to improvise because I've got such great source material. Um, that doesn't mean that my improvs end up in the show, but I get hired a lot because I, I'm, I'm fairly facile at improvising. So is Maurice. So is Jeff Bennett. Incredible. Um, Darren Norris on Odd Parents. Jerry Trainer, I do a show called Tough Puppy now for Nickelodeon. Jerry Trainer is the lead in, from uh, iCarly. Really smart kid and very funny. And um, uh, Matt Taylor, who's on that show, a new guy. But you look at the, go down the list. You know, Frank, uh, Tress McNeil, April Winchell, Tara Strong, Jennifer Hale. Um, all the people we're talking about, Jeff Bennett, um, Maurice, D. Bradley Baker, Jim Cummings, John DiMaggio, Billy, they're all such solid improvisers, and they all have, most of them have a stand-up background, uh, and, uh, and a lot of them, like me, have an improv background. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, somebody will say something, and then somebody else jumps on it, and irrespective of whether it ends up in the show, the fact that the actors and the scripts inspire us to want to play it's like that old adage that a high tide raises all boats. Regardless of whether that ends up in the, in the show, doesn't matter. Because the, uh, the synergy and the energy of the actors in the studio 
makes it, it ends it, it ends up juicing what's on the screen, and um, that's why when you see shows like Futurama, um, Animaniacs, they've held up really well. Pinky and the Brain, people love Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain still, uh, or the new Ninja Turtles, or uh, SpongeBob. Tom Kenny's another incredible guy. Bill Fogerbachy, Roger Bumpus, um, they're just incredible talents, you know, and. Um, it, it makes the whole project better, and I don't think it's a surprise. I've done over 2,000 half-hours of animation, and I, 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 know it's, it, I know why it works. But the scripts are always really solid on the shows you mentioned, and they just did nothing but make us want to try to jump higher. Yes, ma'am? Uh, what you mentioned uh, reminded me, uh, when, we've, when we've interviewed uh, voice actors for video games and particularly voice actors who do the dub over the English dub mm -hmm. overs of anime, uh, one of the things that always surprised me that they mentioned was that a lot of times they didn't actually even meet with some of the other people that they were working right. with, that they just did their part right. and their pieces. <clears throat> Is that different when you're doing uh, Western cartoons and the voice acting that you've done? Because it sounds like you're working with all the other actors that you're ideally, working with. Ideally. I always prefer to be with other actors. Uh -huh. um, because, first of all, it's fun, man. I've known Billy West for 20 years. You know, he's been to half a dozen of my kids' birthday parties. I've known, I've had dinner with Billy 50 times, you know, so... And when I went, he was on my podcast and just went to his house. I've been, you know, Bill, these are, I really do get to work with people I choose to spend my free time with. So that when I know I'm working on a show with them, I'd always rather be with them and they make me better. I'm good at my job. I'm really good at my job when I'm surrounded by Billy and Maurice and, or in this case, Sean, Jason Biggs, Greg Sipes. Oh my God. Mae Whitman is April O'Neill. You can't get better actors. Um, and so I always prefer to be with the other actors. It's not always possible, especially when you're working with guys like like uh, Sean and Jason, because they do a lot of on-camera stuff, and they're doing movies. And uh, Jason's doing a series in New York right now for Genji Cohen, who produced Weeds. He's doing a new uh, uh, series. So he's not always in L.A. Then they have to pick him up by a phone patch, or sometimes they'll patch him in through satellite while we're all together. But we always prefer to be together. Uh, together. Um, and it is different because when you're doing uh, video games, there's such a long time horizon. Sometimes it's a couple of years before these things make it to, to market. Um, and you have, I'm so sorry, you know what, let me turn that off. You have a circumstance in which the actors, um, uh, you have a circumstance in which the actors have, uh, well, like Nolan. When Nolan's doing uh, a, uh, an Uncharted, He's Drake. So if you see a script for a, a, a game like that, Jesus Christ, it might be like like the Manhattan Phone Book because clearly he Drake has to respond to whatever the game player is doing, right? So there's lots of redundancy. And and if it's a mocap, a motion cap thing, then you really can't do that ensemble with other actors. Maybe you can a little bit if you're doing, you know, the James Cameron movie with, um, with all the flying creatures. Avatar? Yeah. They, I don't know, but maybe they do some ensemble stuff there. But that's an enormous budget and two years to make or whatever. So it, 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 the practical nature of that is that they're by themselves. Anime is a similar situation. I don't do any anime, not because I don't want to, but because the, the majority of it is, is non-union work in L.A. and I have to do work under the Screen Actors Guild in AFTRA um, because of my, you know, my commitment to the union. So... Um, yeah, that is true, um, but you'll find that most, like Futurama, they have a table read, and Billy, and Katie Segal, and DiMaggio, and all those guys, Maurice, they're all together. 
And I think that that's why the show has been so good. Same thing with Family Guy. And I know that uh, um, Seth likes to have his people together when he can. He's so busy now that he probably has to phone it in when he, you know, because he's just, he's a movie star. Um, and supremely talented, but a great guy. And uh, um, so I think that, uh, that it does help. And also, as I said, the reason, it's true that it makes us better. Maurice just won his second in a row primetime Emmy for um, Futurama. And he's a pretty talented guy. So, did you have another question, sir? Yeah, um, I was going to ask. As far as your career goes, um, was there anyone that you found had a huge impact on you, either during a, a difficult time in your career, uh, where you may ha have had some doubts, or somebody who really supported you uh, to get to where you are now? Yes, um, I I had a not a had have a friend of mine named Mark Elliott, and Mark is uh, he. It, you'd recognize his voice immediately. He's primarily, I think, now known as the voice of Disney, like Disney DVDs, and you know, say, "Coming soon, the Tinkerbell." Matter of fact, they just released one last week, in which I play this character Bobble. Jeff Bennett and I play these Tinker Fairies, and I'm very comfortable in my masculinity, so I have no problem telling you that I'm in fact a fairy. Um, but Mark was very integral to me uh, at a not a really difficult time, but a time when I was feeling sorry for myself. Um, his uh, girlfriend at the time was the sister of my wife at the time. I was married very young to a lovely lady named Carol Schnarr. Uh, she has since, we've split up and I've been married to my lovely wife for 30 years, but Carol is just a wonderful girl. And her sister, Sandy, is one of the premier voice agents in Hollywood, probably the top three or four, Sandy Schnarr. And her boyfriend at the time was Mark Elliott. And Mark and I got to be fast friends um, because we had the same agent, Mark's considerably older than I, but he was a guy that I really looked up to like a big brother, and at the time, he was doing all the promos for CBS, you know, coming up next, or Thursday on Who's Cooking the Soup, and, you know, just really an incredible voice, and I was feeling kind of sorry for myself, and I remember Mark, I don't remember specifically what he said, but what he basically said was, you know, grow up, deal with it, you know, nobody told, nobody forced your hand to be an actor, you're going to be fine, you know. And if it sucks for a while, it sucks. And that's what I tell actors all the time. Um, it was something I needed to hear, and then now I tell actors. I just spoke to a young, beautiful young girl downstairs who is getting her degree in theater, and she wants to go to L.A. I said, look, when it sucks, and it will, give yourself a couple hours to feel sorry for yourself and then just say, okay, that's enough of that, because nobody ever shoved a gun in my mouth to be an actor. I don't know anybody. who Maybe, maybe um Drew Barrymore because of her family legacy. I don't know. But most of us don't get forced into being in show business. This is a choice. So you really can't complain uh, too much. It sucks an awful lot of times. You audition and audition and audition and don't get the job. But that's that's the deal. Hey, man, I grew up in Flint, Michigan. That whole freaking town is in the toilet. This is a tough time, not just for actors. So uh, I don't have much patience with myself or other actors who complain a lot. It's totally human to, you know, get bent out of shape. But you need somebody every now and then, whether it's your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, to say, you know what, man, I'm going out and waiting on tables. So I want you to go to acting class. I want you to keep your chops up and all that. But, you know, I'm sorry you didn't get the gig, you know. And Okay, I'm still sorry I didn't get the gig. And you know what? You didn't get the gig. Deal with it. Move on. It's time to move on. So Mark was very instrumental in, in kicking my ass when I needed it to be kicked. And so now my perspective is, uh, I think, much healthier. Um, and it has been for 20-odd years. Um, again, I understand also that I'm lucky enough to work. And there are no guarantees. But again, 
there are no guarantees in life. If I were in a corporate position, I would have been downsized already. And the fact that you guys are here talking to me about a lot of stuff, not the least of which, is the new Ninja Turtles. At my age, I, I, I've got, if I walk out of here and die of a heart attack, i got nothing to complain about. I've had a great run. So I'm glad I had somebody to kick my ass. Ten minutes? Okay. Anybody else have another question? Yes, sir. What was the first gig you ever did that really you felt, yeah, I'm a voice voiceover artist. Oh. I, I'm doing this. Well, uh, boy, that's a great question. Um, I always thought of myself as an actor, you know, as a performer, not just as a voiceover artist, because acting is acting. I remember I used to have people come up to me when I started getting a little bit of notoriety, and they'd say, hey, it's, you know, you're pretty good at this. Have you ever done any real acting? And I know what they meant. And it doesn't, it, it, some actors get bent out of shape about it. I don't, because I know what they mean. What they mean is, have you ever been on TV? And yes, I have, but I've never worked with more purely gifted actors than voice actors. I mean, you hear, if you had Billy, there's a cool video you guys should see on YouTube um, where a bunch of us, including Billy, did a Star Wars reading up at the, have you seen that? It's pretty cool. Up at um, the Seattle Emerald City Comic Con in March. It's Billy, myself, Kevin Conroy as Batman, um, Maurice, Jess Harnell, who you may know as Wacko and a bunch of other stuff, and Tara Strong, and I think that's it. Um, oh, and John DiMaggio, did I say? Anyway, all of us are together, and at this con, we got a couple thousand people in the audience, and they gave us the script of Star Wars. So we go through and we read the different characters. You know, she, Tara was doing bubbles from uh, Powerpuff Girls as Darth Vader, and I was the, you know, the like a stormtrooper, and I'd say, um, excuse me, Lord Vader, but we've uh, intercepted a transmission. No, you know. <laughs> but the people loved it, and it's an hour and 20 minutes long, and it's had a million, 250,000 hits or something. So you can't just watch it for two seconds, you know? But you should watch that. And then you get a chance to see how incredibly gifted all these actors are. It's not about their voice or their face or whatever. It's about acting. Um, so to that extent, I always consider myself an actor. So I wasn't surprised when I was working. I was grateful. I mean, sometimes I go, I can't believe I'm working because it's been so long since I have. But the first show where I thought that I really did something that was right in my wheelhouse with music and acting, improv, comedy, was Animaniacs. Um, because uh, I had lucky enough to work on, you know, great shows. Johnny Quest, a reboot of that. The original Ninja Turtles, which was incredible. But, uh, as I said, I started as a singer. Um, and to do a show with people on both sides of the glass who were literally at the top of their game. I mean, Steven Spielberg. End of story. And Mr. Spielberg hired me. So when you have that kind of um, guy in your corner, and then he hires people like Tom Ruger and Andrea Romano and Gene McCurdy as the head of Warner Brothers Animation, everybody wins Emmys, everybody wins Peabody Awards, everybody wins Annie Awards, and on my side of the glass is Tress McNeil and Frank and Jim Cummings and Bernadette Peters and Nancy Cartwright. You just can't go wrong. And then we have Randy Rogel writing the songs I got to sing, and Richard Stone scoring it, and Julian Steve. Everybody won Emmys. Everybody was the best. And um, so that's the time when I thought, okay, I got something I can really kick the hell out of. And you know what? 20 years later, people still like it. Um, I think that we could do an Animaniacs show around the country, a live sort of an evening with Animaniacs doing music and questions and video clips uh, of the shows, and I'll bet we could sell out 1,500-seat theaters around the country um, because it's an enormous part of people's childhood, but it's great stuff. 
and it doesn't get old, and we're still young enough to do it. So that was the one where I thought everything, all the stars aligned for me, certainly. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I got this question before we adjourn for, for the day, but do you have any charitable uh, organizations? Thank or you. Like that, that, yes, that I do. Thank you very much. I think the Detroit Tigers need my help right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I do. Two charities that are very important to me. Um, one is called Operation Smile, which if uh, those of you who don't know, you should check it out. It's pretty astonishing. <clears throat> it's a, uh, a charity which donates... Uh, you have um, these world-class maxillofacial surgeons who go around the world repairing cleft palates and cleft lips of children who are born with that, you know, deformity, but it's totally fixable, by and large. But most of these children who have these, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, afflictions or I, I don't want, you know, I'm trying to be politically correct, deformities. Um, it, particularly in third world countries, if you have this and you're born in Nashville, they take you up to you know, Vanderbilt University and sew you up and, you know, you might have a little scar, but you grow a mustache or you put on lipstick and you're, you do both. Not you. <laughs> um, but then you're okay. In, in many other countries, you're relegated to sort of the trash bin of, of humanity, which is so horrible because it's tough enough to be a kid. You know, every, everybody gets bullied. Every, when you have something like that where your, your head is open and exposed, it's not only unhealthy, but it's horrible. And so these... Angels go around the world with their incredible skills as surgeons, and they repair these children free of charge. So the only money that changes hands is the amount of money it costs for the stuff, the actual suturing material and scalpels or whatever it requires, plastic surgery to do the work. The, the surgeons all donate their, their time for free. And, of course, getting them to all these places. So if you're a child and you're born in Guatemala or, or Uzbekistan or uh, Kenya or, um, you know, uh, the Solomon Islands with this horrible affliction, there's going to be somebody someday, hopefully, that can come and, and patch you up. So that's my that's one of my charities. Um, and the other one, which I love, is the Wounded Warrior Project. Um, my father was in the military, and uh, uh, my feeling is that irrespective of your politics, um, that we are incredibly indebted to people who choose to be in the military. Um, it's not even about being a pacifist or anything like that to me. It's about these people choose this job, and when we say, rightly or wrongly, you got to go do this and people are going to shoot at you, they do it. And they're younger than my child, you know. So I love supporting the Wounded Warrior Project. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I do a lot of stuff with the USO, and I was there in, uh, at, at back East, well, in Quantico and Fort Myer and um, uh, Arlington National Cemetery a few weeks ago hanging out with the troops and uh, in the end of November, November 29th through the 6th of December, Maurice LaMarche and I are going to Kosovo and um, Germany to hang out with the troops. So we're going to have Pinky the Brain invading Europe. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, those two, and, and to the extent that people are interested, if you would like to support um, the charities that I'm involved in, you don't have to go through me, but if you'd like to, uh, you can go to my website, robpaulsonlive.com, or the, the app I was telling you about, which will give you a, a link to, um, I sign pictures for $25, all of which goes to the Wounded Warriors and Operation Smile, and um, it will give you an opportunity to choose which picture. It's my pleasure. We have time, I think, for one more question. Uh, yeah. Okay. Are you scheduled for any future conventions the rest of the year? Uh, no. This is the last convention. The next thing I'm doing is going to Europe for the USO, but uh, all this stuff, including this one, is available on the app. And it's really cool because I just had the app a few days ago, and it said, GMX, and there's a little sign. It tells you where to buy tickets, and 
So to the extent that folks are interested, they can follow where I'll be, and I'll be doing a lot of them next year as well. Um, but you guys, it was an absolute delight, and thank you for your patience. I really appreciate that. And your, is that a Hello Kitty phone? It is. Honey, it's so sweet. And look at you with your pinkiness. And your pinkiness. Hey, God, you're the same name. The king color is my name. <laughs> we have a question. Um, actually, I just wanted to know how GMX treated you this year. Oh, they were awful. They were all liquored up, <laughs> disgusting. Nobody took a bath. No, I'm telling you what. I... With all due respect, are any of you sports fans at all? Well, there's a great movie years ago called Pride of the Yankees. Okay, it's about Lou Gehrig, who was the Iron Man of, of baseball, played on 1,200, whatever it was, consecutive games. And unfortunately, he died of what came to be known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Very sad story, but, but also a very uplifting story. And I always say, with all due respect to Lou Gehrig, in the movie, he gives us a, a, a speech when he's been afflicted with this uh, disease. And he says, a lot of folks say that I've been dealt a tough hand or given a bad break. Well, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. It's a very stirring speech. And mine isn't nearly as dramatic, but with all due respect to Lou Gehrig, I think I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And many of the reasons are right here in this room. And, and you guys have treated me like a rock star and Billy. And thank you so much for paying attention. I can't tell you what it means to me that when I say, hello, nurse, you guys do that. <laughs> It's, it's an incredible gift I've been given. So thank you for, uh, for watching. And uh, there's a lot of cool stuff to come. And, and thank you for, for hanging out and letting me ramble. I appreciate it. Really fun. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, thank you.